In the last episode, I did my best to explain the concept of Ayurveda, the ancient science of living a long and healthful life. Today, I want to talk about the practice of yoga itself. As I've said before, these two sister sciences are intimately connected. And in my opinion, you really can't practice one without the other. Both are philosophies that guide you how to listen, learn, and work with your body and learn to recognize the sensory processes and, of course, your mind. This can only be done if you give yourself the time and space to get quiet and steady enough to turn down the volume on the seemingly endless playlist of thoughts, not to mention the distractions that inevitably impact the world around you and the world within you. You see... Where Ayurveda is a plethora of tips, tools, and guiding principles that helps you to name and define the signs and symptoms that impede your most vibrant self, it's the yoga that teaches you how to recognize the intensity of these obstacles and invites you to put into action the necessary daily practices, yes, daily practices, that support your best and most vibrant self. Ayurveda helps to define the actions you need to do, while yoga is learning to master the art of your acting. By way of self-inquiry, yoga is an opportunity to get clear on who you are and what your life's mission is by learning to move with control and grace through every moment of every day. Now, you don't need like any kind of, say, dancer background where you're you know, perfect in your movements. You just need to learn how to actually control that. And this is a tough sell because much of the consumer industry feeds us images of slim and strong and flexible bodies performing postures that only the elitist of athletes uh, could be capable of. And that's not yoga. Not to mention there's such an increase in demand in our society to work long hours. And, you know, most people end up being burnt out at the end of the day that they hardly have any time, let alone the energy and motivation to do something for themselves. As one of the foremost scholars of yoga, yoga philosophy, and history of our time, uh, George Feuerstein taught, yoga encourages you to examine all your basic attitudes towards life to discover which ones are dysfunctional so that you can replace them with more appropriate ones. Ready to get started? I'm Michelle Robinson, entrepreneur, yoga teacher, Ayurvedic consultant and life student and your host on this podcast, Om at Home. started practicing yoga, there was one thing I knew for certain. Each session made me feel more grounded, more connected, and more aligned in my life than I did before. Wedged between my dated living room furniture and the television screen, the positive and lasting impact of even my half-assed practices cleared the lethargy from my body and always left me feeling fresh and uplifted in some way, shape, or form. And then when I did invest wholeheartedly into my time on the mat, I felt radiant and confident and committed, really and truly committed to whatever and wherever my day took me next. Of course, some days the last thing I wanted to do was get on my mat for practice. 
compounded with a lengthy list of other things to do, skipping yoga was an easy out. One day would turn into two days with no yoga and then three days with no yoga and then before I'd know it, it would be seven days or more that I hadn't unrolled my yoga mat. No big deal, I know, save for the fact that it didn't feel good. My body hurt, my head space was changed, it was different. And of course, then old habits like self-depreciating thoughts and criticism, uh, unhealthy patterns would start to creep back into my days. And then when I committed to my first 200-hour yoga training, it was like I was given a mirror to hold. And then, of course, I would learn how to hold that up. So the strength and the support I needed to then actually look into that mirror. Taking that training taught me so much more than I ever thought possible. Yes, I learned postures. I learned a lot of postures. But it taught me more about myself and the truth of what that means than I ever knew I could know. I started to slowly register really what that tape was saying was it continuously played in my mind. For a long time, it's been stuck or was stuck on self-doubting messages not good enough, not worthy enough, I could never be, blah, 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 which repeatedly fed my perception and self-worth. I also started to notice motivation factors like the attitude of comparison that often pushed me beyond my capabilities and literally robbed me of my joy, often left me hurt, exhausted, and or depressed. These, of course, are still aspects of the practice I'm still learning to both recognize and work with each and every day, but at least I've gained a sense of clarity and awareness of them, and most days there are some gaps in this kind of mental playlist that house positive and reinforcing messages that certainly boost my self-confidence and self-love. As an entrepreneur, teacher, mom, wife, and all of the householder responsibilities that go with all of that, even to this day, it can be somewhat of a challenge to get my butt on a mat, even if it is for 10 minutes of shavasana or child's pose. But I know without a doubt that those 10 minutes are invaluable when it comes to not only my physical health, but more so my emotional and mental health. My mood always shifts in a positive manner, no matter how long I make it and stay to my yoga mat. And mindset is so important. Mindset is, simply put, your attitude. If you look up the word attitude in the dictionary, the top two definitions are, quote, the matter, disposition, feeling, position, etc. with regards to a person or thing, tendency or orientation, especially of the mind. So like a negative attitude or a group or a cultural attitude. And then the other definition is the position of posture of the body appropriate to or expressive of an action, emotion, etc. So somebody might have a threatening attitude or position in their body or a relaxed attitude. In the case of yoga, attitude is both of these things. It's both um, you know, a mental disposition as well as a physical posture in their body. That happens all at the same time. In the classical text called the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, there is a passage in the first chapter that highlights the inherent ways that obstacles, aka life's challenges like busy schedules, work, commitments, etc., impede our 
requirements for ourselves and affect our mindset. These rather predictable physical, mental, and emotional obstacles are said to show up in the following ways. So I'm going to list them out here for you. The first is illness and or sickness. Well, that goes without saying that when you're battling a cold or have broken a bone, that your attitude is certainly going to be affected. COVID, need I say more? (laughs) The next is procrastination. I have worked with this my whole life. I'm certainly one of those cram it all in at the last minute kind of people, and I'm really working to change that. Then there's doubt. Oof, I've had many, many bouts with my doubt shadow. How about you? Then there's laziness, which for me, most often often reveals itself in the form of complacency. As they say, complacency mimics happiness. Touche. Then there's craving or a lack of self-control. Indulgence is fun, but it always comes with some cost or side effect. Then there's misperception. Oh, aren't relationships good for this? Marriage or even a parent-child relationship. So easy do lines get crossed and misinterpreted. Then there's failing. For me, this is one that is so closely linked to that old doubt shadow and how easy doubt rears its ugly head even, you know, oftentimes before you get a chance to put thought into action. Then there's instability. And that's a hard one because I think it's safe to say deep down we all know that everything changes and yet it's hard sometimes to find comfort in knowing that things change and we have to let go. And then the last is negligence. Uh, That's another good one. How many times have I disregarded my own body's messaging system and let's say been full yet taken one or two or three more bites or pressed play on another episode of a Netflix show when I'm already half asleep on the couch? So to recap, those are illness or sickness, procrastination, doubt, laziness, craving, misperception, failing, instability, and negligence. There is nothing unpredictable about these challenges that we all face at different times under different circumstances. You might find that even sometimes, all of a sudden, a few of them start weighing you down, so compound it all at once, like perhaps doubt and laziness and negligence all just kind of compound into one really heavy feeling. Um, and then uh, not only do these obstacles compound to really make it tough to stay motivated and committed to yourself and your health, but these obstacles often come with a few trusty companions that further impact your mood and your attitude. And they include pain and sorrow or sadness, bitterness or frustration, uneven, irregular and or shaky breathing, and it's just a general unsteadiness in your body and mind which leads to a loss of hope and oftentimes faith. Now, much of this seems rather heavy and depressing, but it's not all bad news. And as I alluded to in the introduction of this episode, yoga is not a name all the bad stuff and beat yourself up practice, but rather an opportunity to shed some light on the things that make you feel stuck and reveal what is in your control and how you might learn to relinquish that which is holding you back from living and loving all that you already are. And this is where I invite you to turn to your mat for practice. Yes, I mean the postures. 
But I also mean breathing and meditating and noticing and listening and contemplating and honoring and respecting. All of these things are part of what yoga has always traditionally been. Yoga asana or postures is a means to not only move and position your body in different poses, but also help you clarify any stuckness you might be experiencing and maybe even help you pinpoint where pain or dis-ease exists. Through slow and particular movements and adjustments, you start to recognize that which is painful perhaps started somewhere where you didn't think it was. For example, you might be dealing with back pain that although seems solely related to your spine and your back muscle fatigue, it's in fact a restriction of movement at the front of your hips due to prolonged and static sitting or standing. Or perhaps poor diet is triggering an inflammation in the nervous tissue and muscles that feed, of course, into your back and spine. Master teacher Bernie Clark put it beautifully when he said, we don't use our body to get into a pose, we use the pose to get into our body. And then there is the breath. As you well know, without the breath, there would be no body. Pranayama, or controlling your vital life energy, is an immensely important piece of the yoga practice. All too often, breathing is an afterthought. You know what it's like when you run up a flight of stairs and you get to the top and you're <sighs> out of breath, then you're like, oh, wow, I'm quote-unquote out of breath. But in yoga... Breath is like a birthplace of all action. It's the grounding force. It's the preserver of your energy. It's a meditative focal point. And whether you're on the mat or not, it is your constant companion. With many, many different methods for promoting and working with the breath, each yoga practice on the mat should consist of some level of guided and focused breathing practice. Conscious and deep breathing calms the mind, regulates much of our internal processes, and, well, it just feels good. After establishing these two key parts, breathing and moving or positioning your body in a particular way, things start to become somewhat more complicated in the yoga practice. Not because they're necessarily harder, but because the practice of yoga shifts to such a subtle field that until you truthfully register what is happening in and with your body and breath, the contemplative practices of the mind and your senses seem really far out of reach. And this is a bit of a double-edged sword because you need your contemplative practices in order for you to clearly see what's happening with your body and in your mind. You start to learn how to turn your attention more and more inward what we call pratyahara in Sanskrit, and that helps you to assess your mindset and all of the obstacles that come with it. So in a way, as you practice yoga, you are in essence learning from yourself while you teach yourself at the same time. Whew. I know, yoga, it really gets this kind of, let's do a handstand, a downward dog, or such a deep twist that... You know, it really seems far-fetched and unaccessible. And as much as I've really talked about yoga being on a yoga mat, that's not the case. 
Yoga can be done while seated in a chair at your desk as you take 10 minutes to simply pause and breathe and drop into your body. Yoga can be practiced while lying in bed when you wake up first thing in the morning so that you can put a mindset and an attitude into your body, your mind, and your heart even before your feet hit the floor. And with so much out there as far as what to read, what to do, and what clarifies and quantifies yoga, it can be hard to know where to start and who to learn from. One of my teachers who unfortunately I've never met, although I reference and utilize his teachings, his written work continuously in my day to day, is author and yogi Richard Freeman. In his book, The Mirror of Yoga, he writes this, through our yoga practice, we learn to cultivate this observational skill seeing what is immediately before us so that eventually the practice transforms into something that penetrates every aspect of life. We hone the skill of focusing the mind on whatever pattern of perception it lights upon. Whatever we are thinking, feeling, sensing, emoting becomes the object of meditation. By paying attention to the pattern of whatever is happening right now, and it could be a pattern we would normally consider be, to be miserable or neurotic or even ecstatic, by allowing the mind to rest there, we find a gateway into understanding the whole, now that's a W-H-O-L-E, whole, beneath it. Through this meditative approach, the context of that which we are observing is revealed and quite easily, without a sense of anxiety, we perceive the background as an interlinking web of pure consciousness that has manifested as whatever we are observing. It becomes clear that the one point that appeared so separate within our attention is actually interpenetrating its immediate background and that this same background that could also be perceived as separate melts into its own background, and so on. We experience this in a deeply physical, embodied way when the practice of yoga posture is done well. A visceral, grounded understanding of interconnectedness prompts the mind to soak deeper and deeper through various layers of background to where our perception and even sensations appear to us as sacred, inexplicable and wonderful. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening. And until next time, drop me a line, visit the Ambiance Yoga website, or better yet, unroll your yoga mat next to mine so we can practice together.